Hey guys, welcome to our online campus. Whether you're joining us through YouTube or our podcast, we're really glad that you're here today. Let's tune into today's message here at Higher Vision. Enjoy. to start a new series called This Is Us. Thank you, Jake. And um, how many here have ever seen the TV show This Is Us? Raise your hand. Okay, if you haven't seen it, I want to encourage you. It's, a, it's got a lot of cool things about it. And I like it because in the show, there's a, a, a family and in the family, there's someone adopted. I relate to that because we have a child who's adopted. My brother, they have an adopted child. And, and, um, and in the story, you see this family that's kind of struggling through challenges, they have dysfunction, they have great things going on, I mean, there's happiness, there's sadness, you see the complexities of relationships, and the whole time you're watching all of this stuff, you realize, wow, this is us, this is my family, come on, you ever see anybody just, you know, dysfunction, you're like, I can relate, Right? And so the whole show, it's kind of like, man, I see the complexity of it. I see the joy and the forgiveness and unforgiveness and the anger and the sadness. And it's all there. And it's, it, it's an interesting show. And the name is perfect for the show. Well, as I've been reading and through the, the Bible this year, recently I started reading through the book of Corinthians. And as I was listening on my phone to the book of Corinthians, as I began to go through it and God began to speak through it, the prophet, uh, Apostle Paul, I kept going, holy smokes. This is us. Corinth is us. It's America. It's the church in America right now. This is us. Whoa, that, yeah, that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the church of Corinth. And then at the end, I'm going to give you a list of all the things that they were, you know, they were, things they were struggling with or things that describe them. And tell me if it reminds you of anything. Y'all with me? Okay, so let's dive in. Let's talk about the... Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say this. I can't go verse by verse in four weeks through the book of Corinthians. It's super long. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out the big ideas from the book, and I'm going to use a passage each time that I do that. So we're going to work our, our way through Corinthians together. This week, we're going to talk about a theme, and I'll tell you, but let's talk about Corinth. Corinth was a city. It was a well-known city of its day. Paul moved there to plant a church, kind of like me. I moved here to plant a church. He didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. He gets there. He, he plants the church, meets Aquila and Priscilla, some church planters themselves, and they begin to build this church. And it was, it was uh, established about 50 to 51 AD. And um, he establishes the church. People get saved. It grows to about 60 people while Paul was there. And um, he stays for 18 months. During the 18 months that he's there, he's teaching them. He's raising up leadership. He's in, in doing all those things. And then after 18 months, he moves on to plant more churches. But he continues to care for and bring leadership to the church through correspondence. Five years after he left, he finds out that the city of Corinth and all the things that were going on there, that the culture had influenced the church, and now the church had all these issues. So he writes a letter to them, thus the, the book of Corinthians. Y'all with me? So he writes this book five years later because he says, guys, I need to address this stuff because you've gotten off track. Anybody here ever gotten off track? So I'm going to teach you some things. I'm going to correct some things to get you back on track. And then eventually he sends Timothy, his spiritual son, to also come and bring correction. 
So let's talk about this city and how that the city began to influence the church. First of all, Corinth was, it was a, a rising city. It was the third most prominent city in the, in the empire of Rome. And it was a, a, a city known for its trade, its tourism, and it was a place to go if you wanted to make money. In fact, let me show you, if you look at this map, Corinth was in what we now call the, you know, Greece, and it was a port city. So it was known for trade, and what would happen is the port here on the west side, you could see it went out into the ocean that went to Italy and Rome, and Rome was the largest city of the Roman Empire. So there was also a port on the east side of Corinth that went to the east. So there was trade from the west to the east. If you had ships that came back and forth here, you would trade supplies, and they would then be sent to the east. So this was a, a prominent city that um, people knew. They went there to, to make money. It was a place that was thriving. It was a place that was growing. So now what I want to do is, is I want to give you a list of things that described the city of Corinth. And as I give you this list, maybe it will remind you of other places. So here's, here's what Corinth was like. Number one, it was a prosperous city. Okay? Number two, it was a prideful city. Number three, it was a city obsessed with sex. Number four, it was a city struggling with drug and alcohol and substance abuse. Come on, does this remind you of any place? Let's go to the next one. It was a sue-happy city. They sued for everything. It was causing problems. Third, the, uh, sixth, it was a sports-crazed city. Come on, are we not talking about something that you're reminded of? They, they had gladiators in that city. They had um, sports where they would bring exotic animals in, where they'd fight each other. It was a sports-crazed city. Not only that, it was a body-conscious city. It was all about the way you looked. Looking good, being fit. And then lastly, it was a city with an incredibly high divorce rate. Come on, how many would say, this is us? Come on, does this not describe the culture of America today? And so as we go through this, Paul begins to teach us some things. And today I want to talk to you about the first thing he addresses. Next week we're going to go in, and I'll, I'll share with you as we get along in the message what we're going to be looking at for the next several weeks. But the first thing that he addresses is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Here's what he says. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. To live in what? Harmony. Harmony with each other. Let there be no what? Divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind. What's the next word? United in thought and purpose. Paul begins by saying, here's the deal. This city, and I'll show you as we dive into it. I didn't put it on the list, but I should have. This city was a city that was divided. The culture drove people apart rather than together. And that spirit had begun to work its way into the church. And so the first principle that God wants to teach us in this this is us spirit and culture that we live in is this. Write this down. Point number one, be committed to unity. As the church of Jesus Christ, you and I should be committed to unity. He said it. Listen, don't be divided. But you need to be united. The church had started arguing, they, they, there'd been disagreements, they were splitting apart, and there was a lack of unity. God says, I want you to be as my church, I want you to be a church of unity. We live in a polarized country, don't we? 
God says, don't be like the world. Be together. Be un unified. And, you know, it makes me think of something. How many of you have little pet peeves, things that you don't like, things you hate? Come on. Things that drive you nuts. Can I, as a man, for a minute, tell you something that drives me nuts? It's a pet peeve. I hate it. Now, I, hate is a strong word. Come on. How many know what I'm talking about? I'll tell you what it is. When my wife and my daughters turn on The Bachelor. I don't know what it is, but it's like you might as well put your fingers on a chalkboard and just scratch and, and, and squeal because it like, it just, the thought of a bunch of, of ladies gossiping and fighting over a guy, it just is not appealing to me whatsoever. And some of the men would say amen. And if you're a man and you like it, good for you, I'll pray for you, but um, <laughs> I don't understand. I, it just, I hate it. It drives me nuts. But to be fair, I got to give DeVette equal time. There are things that DeVette hates. What DeVette hates about me is that I slurp things when I drink it. Come on. Have you ever heard someone slurp their coffee? How many hate it when someone slurps their, their coffee? Okay, so you identify with my wife. She hates it. It drives her nuts. But in defense of all the slurpers around the world... The reason we do it is not to annoy you. It just tastes better. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? It tastes better when you slurp your coffee. It's better. It, it, by the way, it works with soda too. Just throwing that out there. It just tastes better. And you know, we all have those things, right? But how many know that that's not really hate? It's more of, it, it's an annoyance. And here's what I want you to know. When God says, don't be divided, but be united, you need to understand something. God isn't annoyed with division. God hates division. Can I show you what the Bible teaches us? The Bible teaches us in Proverbs 16, or 6 verse 16. He says there are six things that the Lord, what? He hates it. In fact, these, there are seven, or six things the Lord hates. There are seven that are detestable to him. This isn't you bug me. This, isn't, this kind of is annoying God said, this is detestable, and I hate it. What is it? Now, I'll be honest with you. Some of you probably, if you made out a list of the top 10 things God hates, I guarantee you'd have some other things on the list. Look what God says. What I hate is prideful people, haughty eyes. You know what I hate? A lying tongue. You know what's unfortunate is we live in a culture where lying isn't just expected, it's encouraged. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I think he's annoyed with untruth as well. <laughs> Amen. A lying tongue, haughty eyes, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up dissension, who stirs up division. God hates division. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, we're supposed to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. God hates division. In fact, Jesus tells us why. He says, you've got to understand something. It's not that just division is a bad thing. You need to understand how bad it is. If a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. I'm trying to protect you from falling apart. So don't be a, a person who, who is focused on division. God hates division. Can I tell you the other thing about God? God doesn't just hate division. God blesses unity. Look at what he says in Psalm 133. He says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in what? 
unity. It's like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down on the collar of his robe. What he's referring to is the anointing oil that would be put on the priest as he was doing his ministry. So in other words, what he's saying is that where, the, where there's unity, that's where my anointing flows. And it gets everywhere. How many of you want to, want to be in the middle of the place where God's anointing gets everywhere? And then he goes on to say, it's also like the dew of Hermon that's falling on Mount Zion. In other words, the refreshing dew that takes the dry, hard ground and makes it soft again and, and, and cold again and wet again. There's refreshing in the middle of unity. How many know that we want to be refreshed? And then he says this, these blessings, that is where unity, the Lord bestows his blessing. And he takes it to the next level, even life forevermore. The blessed life, the best life, is not buying into a spirit of division, but being a person of unity. So if we're talking about unity, it says don't be divided. Let's, let's define real quickly, I'm going to just define a couple things, what unity is not. Here's the thing, unity is not tolerance. And what do you mean by that? Let me unpack it for you. Unity is not embracing all perspectives and religions and opinions for the sake of agreement. Or let me just explain it better, because that, that may not define it well enough. Unity doesn't mean we throw away our convictions for the sake of everybody agreeing. Because we do have a culture in the church where a lot of people in the church say, well, we're just going to set aside biblical principle, things that God has said, convictions that he's given us, because we want everybody to get along. So what I'm not saying is that unity is you just embrace everything as your own. All right? Unity is not tolerance. Here's the other thing unity is not. Unity is not uniformity. If you walk into church and everyone has the same haircut and they're wearing the same clothes, run. <laughs> run, because if not, you're going to end up on a TV documentary. I'm not talking about uniformity, that we all have to look the same, we all have to exist. But here's the reality, and, and let me just say, is that what is unity? I think here's a great definition of unity. Unity, ready? It's diversity gathered around principle. It's diversity gathered around principle. And as Christians, we should all have principles. Here's principles we have to have if we're Christians. Number one, that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. That Jesus is the Son of God and he's the only way to get to heaven. That he died on a cross and he rose again. He literally came back to life and conquered death, hell, and the grave so that we could be forgiven of our sins. That is the hope of salvation. That is the foundation principles of Christianity. And so we can be diverse because here's the reality. There's things that, that we have that we can be diverse about. For instance, I'll give you one. Worship. The Bible tells us to worship. For some of you, you have a different perspective of worship than me. For some of you, the way you love to worship is a, a big pipe organ. And a choir. Good for you. I'm happy for you. If that's the way you love to do it. Some of you, your, your idea of worship is that you want heavy metal guitars with drums. And you want the lead worship leader to be singing in a high-pitched tone. We are the champions, my friend. 
Because Jesus is coming again. And that's the way you like it. I have no falsetto right now because this is the fourth service, so... And you like it that way. That's the style you like. Or maybe you're someone and you're more like calm and chill. And like you want to be like, I don't want all kinds of instruments and any lights. I want like an acoustic guitar with a guy with a beard wearing sandals and a tie-dye shirt with some organic food over on the side. <laughs> That's what I like. That's what I like. Lucky for you. Anyway, <laughs> throwing that out there point I'm making is that the Bible says we need to worship, and there's different ways to worship, and there can be diversity, but real unity says that diversity can gather around principle. Come on, y'all with me? And the reality is that what, what Jesus and what Paul is telling us and God is instructing him to say is, listen, you need to understand that, that if you live divided, you're not in the place of blessing. But if you live in unity, that is the place of the blessing. So I want you as the church. Now let me notice, he's not saying the world. He's saying the church. The church is supposed to influence the world, but he's not telling the world how to do it. He's telling the church, you've allowed the world's ideas into your midst, and now you're living divided. And I'll show you how. But as, I, as I give you the second point, you're going to see how that the world had influenced the church. And it's happening in our world today. Our, our culture is the most divided it's ever been. We have people arguing with each other, calling each other names. I mean, we, you name it. It's crazy out there. It's crazy politically. It's crazy in every facet of our, of our community. And people are divided, and what's happened is we buy into that, and it works its way into the church, and it happened in Corinth. Point number one was be committed to unity. Let me show you point number two. Point number two is be careful of celebrity. Some say, what does that have to do with unity, and what are you talking about? Well, let me explain. You see, in the church um, in Corinth, they lived in the city of Corinth. They were there, and in Corinth, um, being a part of Greece, they had a, a tradition there, and it was called the tradition of oratory. There were orators. And here's what an orator was. An orator was a celebrity that their job and what they did was that they were social commentators and they rallied people behind them to join their side and their team. How do you know that in culture we have teams? We have sides. And what they did is they became People that people looked up to and they followed them and whatever they said, they believed and, they, and so they joined the team. And, they, and how many know in, in our culture we have the same thing? You got the right, and you got people like a Rush Limbaugh or a Sean Hannity, and they're celebrities and orators, and, and people join the team, and I'm, I'm a conservative. And then you've got the left. You've got people that are their voice, whether it's a Michael Moore or whoever it might be, and they're out there, and they're the celebrity, and people say, I, I, this is where I lean, and this is where I believe, and everybody joins a team. How many know that we live in a culture, even in our church, we, all of you are on a team. Come on, how many are team Laker? Lakers. Do we have a team Lakers? How many are team Clippers? Boo. Sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Was... Come on, we all have teams. How many are team, team Rams? How many are team Raiders? Have you ever noticed that the Raiders always have loud people in their, on their team? Raider Nation. Do we have any team Lions? Okay, we got it. There we go. Garrett, my, my nephew, it's in the family. It's in the family. And what happened in the church is the church, just like our culture now and just like the culture then, 
started to bring this mindset into the church. And that's where we pick up on our, our, our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because here's what he goes on to say. He said, don't be divided, but be in unity. And here's why you're not in unity. For some of the members of Chloe's house have come and told me about your problems, your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. He said, some of you are saying, I'm on team Paul. I'm a follower of Paul. And others are saying, oh, I'm team Apollos. And some are saying, no, no, I follow Peter. I'm team Peter. And then others are like, I'm team Christ. And what you've done is you've divided yourself into factions. And let me just say, in every church, in every religious organization, you will find the temptation for people to join a team. And the danger is, is that if you're not careful, those teams, here's what I found. Wherever you gravitate, you tend to elevate. What do I mean by that? Is that as soon as you gravitate towards a person and their theology or their position, you start elevating that position, and now it's better than everybody else. And you begin to carry a, a, a subtle or blind spot of arrogance that you know better, and now suddenly your way is the way, and now suddenly people aren't as valuable and their opinion isn't as important to you because you are on Team Paul. Or team, you all still with me? So let's go through and let's figure out what these teams were. Okay, we're going to find a team. First one was Team Paul. What was Team Paul? Well, here's what I believe Team Paul was in the church. Team Paul were most likely Christians who were Gentiles, people who weren't Jewish. And here's what they did. Now, this wasn't Paul's fault. A lot of times, it's not the leader's fault. It's the people. And so what will happen is Team Paul, they'll start saying, well, you know, Paul teaches that we're saved through faith, and it's grace, the grace of God. And so because of the grace of God, it doesn't matter what we do. We don't have to live right. We don't have to make decisions. We don't have to be righteous. We can do what everyone. And what happens is they start developing this mindset of my liberty is really my license to just do whatever I want because that's what I like. Sorry, I can't do and I think that it's possible that sometimes people, and I would just say it this way, beware of hyper-grace people. Grace is good. We, we, grace is part of the teaching of, of, of what God teaches us, right? Grace, but here's the thing, is a lot of people think that grace covers all sin, but I don't really believe that's right. I believe what the Bible teaches is that grace covers repentant sin. Now, if you've repented of your sin and, you know, you say, people say, well, let's have the argument. Well, what if you repent of your sins, but then you make a mistake and you die? Does that mean you're not covered? No, I think God covers that. But the point I'm making is a lot of people believe in grace without transformation. And so they began to basically preach, live whatever you want, do whatever you want, and you'll see it next week. I can do what I want. I can live how I want. There's no standard in my life. There's no responsibility to me. And then the sad thing is what they don't realize is not only are they elevating their theology, but they're also now becoming an example to the next generation and to others that it's okay to be a Christian and, and live like the devil. Come on, y'all with me. So they were team Paul. And all I would say is be careful of the mindset of hyper grace. Because even Paul found the balance. What did Paul say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. In other words, yes, the grace of God covers, but at the same time, the grace of God transforms. And I don't have to continue to live that way. I can begin to live better. Come on, somebody with me, say amen. amen. You understand my heart. So you had Team Paul. 
Then here's the next one, Team Apollos. What's Team Apollos? Here's what I love about this. Apollos, we, we, found, we find out a little bit about Apollos in the book of, of uh, Acts. Acts chapter 18. Here's what it tells us. It says that Apollos was a man from Alexandria. He was a Jew. He was eloquent and well-versed in Scripture. And what we know about Alexandria, if he was from Alexandria, is that Alexandria had Christians, and it was the center of intellectual activity where scholars made a science of allegorizing scriptures and finding obscure meanings in the simplest of passages. So basically, these are the people I would call the deep Christians. The ones that feel like serving God is that we got to get a heavy ready. Come on, how many of you had a heavy ready? In other words, they're going to take a simple passage and find the the deepness that's there. Now, let me just say, there's nothing wrong. The Bible has got so much to teach us, and there are deep revelations. But the problem is people that become the deep Christians is now they start to, again, become elitists and say, well, you know, over there, they don't really teach the word. If you really want to know what God's saying, if you really want to grow, you you, you know, and here's what's happened. The, The simple gospel gets lost. You know what the simple gospel is? Jesus is the son of God. He died for your sins and mine. He rose again and he conquered death, hell, and the grave and he wants you to tell everybody. And now suddenly, people that don't do it the way you do it, aren't getting the revelations you get, are suddenly now kind of second-class churches and second-class Christians and if you really wanted to be a Christian, you come get a heavy ready. Because what we have is deep. Can I tell you, beware of the hyper-grace teaching Christians, and beware of the heavy, revy Christians. So you don't want to lose the simplicity of the gospel. Come on, you all still with me? Here's the next one. Team Peter. Who's Team Peter? Team Peter are most likely the Jews. And they come along, the opposite of Paul, and they say, no, 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 it's not grace. Yes, we need to confess Christ, but it's the law. These are what we call the legalists, legalistic Christians. And what they try to get you to do is, well, listen, you know, if you're only going to be a Christian, it's because you've got to work hard, and you've got to give this up. You can't drink, you can't smoke, or, or you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't chew, or date people that do. You can't do, you, you, you got everything you do. You've got to say this, you've got to do this, you've got to check off this box, you've got to live this way, you've got to wear this way, you've got to pray this prayer. And so now it becomes all about works. And, and the sad thing about all of this is, man, there are things about working out our salvation that are good, we need to do. And there are great things about God's grace. And there are great things about deep truths that can encourage us. The problem is, is we jump on our bandwagon and we put on our jersey and we begin to distance ourselves from other people and we begin to judge other people and we fracture unity because we joined a team. I'm going to show you the last team. Now, this one's going to surprise you. Ready? It's... Team Jesus. Some are like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Nope, this one's a bad one too. We're like, what? No, it's Team Jesus. No, here's what, here's what I think Team Jesus is. Team Jesus is this. It's that person that you're like, hey, man, all right, I'm good. So wh- what church do you go to? I don't need to go to church. It's me and Jesus. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, who's your spiritual authority? You know, Paul, he was the, the one that planted the church, and, and when he was here, I was under his ministry, and now I'm under Timothy, his son. And, and So who is your spiritual authority that speaks into your life, and who are you under? I'm under Jesus. 
He's on speed dial. And you know who Team Jesus is in this passage? It's the people who don't honor and respect spiritual authority. I don't need a pastor. I don't need spiritual leadership. I got Jesus. I would say, I'm scared for you. Because the Bible teaches us that he's placed all authority on the earth. Sometimes the authority is good and bad. Sometimes they're really good. Sometimes they struggle, make mistakes. But when you try to destroy or you dishonor authority, man, that's a scary place to be. I don't want to be in a place where I don't have, even, even Jesus said, I'm under the authority of the Father, and I only say what he tells me to say. Don't be the Christian that doesn't have a church, doesn't have a pastor, doesn't have spiritual authority in your life. Beware of Christians who don't respect spiritual authority. Y'all still with me? Amen. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, you've got to commit yourself to unity. Not only do you need to commit yourself to unity, you need to see that, that it's been divided, it's been destroyed because you've jumped on a team, because you've, you've elevated this opinion or that thought or that theology. And so here's what you need to understand. You need to put yourself under because here's the last point. You need to be committed to unity. You need to, to be careful of celebrity. And number three, you need to be focused on Jesus. Now, some of you are saying, well, that sounds contradictory to what you're saying. No, let's go back to what Paul said. Because the next passage, in the next verse, he says, has Christ been divided into factions? No, of course not. Was it I, Paul, who crucified you or was crucified for you? No, of course not. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. And then he goes on to say, for Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news and not with clever words and clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. You see what he's saying? And let me just say it this way. You're not going to go to heaven because of Jared. So don't put me on a pedestal. You're not going to go to heaven because of Rusty. You're like, who's Rusty? If you don't know, Rusty's a pastor of Real Life Church, a friend of mine. You're not going to go to heaven because of Doug. Some are like, who's Doug? Doug is the pastor of Church on the Way Santa Clarita. The reason that you're going to go to heaven is for one reason and one reason alone, and his name is Jesus. He said, there's no way to get to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're going to focus on Jesus. We're going to focus on him. And, and here's the point I want to make is that Paul says, so because Jesus is the one, don't put all these people. They, they, they deserve to have honor, and you, know, you should respect these people apostles and leaders that helped found this church so that you could grow. But who you put on the pedestal is Jesus. And then he says this, and by the way, God sent me so that I could tell you this stuff. I could preach to you. Can I tell you, you need to hear, give me a chance to unpack this. Don't shut down on me. You need to be in a place where you hear hard truth preaching. You know why? Because Hard truth preaching produces soft-hearted Christians. But soft truth preaching produces hard-hearted Christians. Now, I'm not talking about being angry and, and yelling. And, but having the ability, we talked about it in our series a few months ago, 
the ability to speak truth in love. Right? We learn that truth without grace is mean. But we also learn that grace without truth is meaningless. Because it's he who knows the truth that gets set free. So I want you to know that you need to be in a place where sometimes you can be confronted. Sometimes the word can, you can walk out and go, man, I felt like God was, you know, had the old sandpaper and he was working on some of those rough edges on my thinking and some of those rough edges. And I got to tell you that, that God said, listen, as the church of Jesus Christ, you've got to be different than the world. Don't let the world influence you. Don't be divided. You know, it's sad to me that, that if I were to go on social media, what would I see when I looked at a lot of our church family's social media? I'd see Christians going after other Christians because of some earthly jersey that's red or blue or whatever it might be. You know what? Can I tell you what the word, Jesus said, don't be divided, be in unity. Can I tell you what the word divided means in the Greek in this passage? Here's what it means. It's, a, it's the word we get our word of schism. And what it means is a piece of cloth that is ripped in pieces and shredded. And if a garment, if I came out with this shirt and it was just ripped to pieces and shredded, what would it be? It would be ugly and useless. Because you'd see my white body that needs a tan. <laughs> you'd be like, TMI, TMI. Because you see, when you're divided, ugly and you're useless and I just wonder why the world isn't able to get together because they look at the church and they go well, I'm not going to listen to you but look at you you're all ripped up you're ugly and divided but you know what the word unity means let me tell you what the word unity means we're ending with this unity means in the Greek it means when a doctor sets a bone back into place and it heals as though it were good as new or better it means to restore to heal you realize that God wants us to live in unity because when we become people of unity it's the place where he releases his healing now, I know there are people out there that are here and you've been hurt and you've been, uh, things have happened in your life. And, and if anything, shouldn't the world look at the church and go, I need that influence in my life because I want to be healed. I want to get better. And so I feel like that this message, which was planned way before all that took place in America this weekend, I had no idea this was going to happen. Isn't it amazing how God set up for you and I to understand that if the world is ever going to change, the church has got to change. And if the church can't change, we'll always be ugly and useless. But if you and I will be people who learn how to, as diverse people, gather around principle and learn how to love one another. Now, let me say, next week we're going to go to the, the next part. And, and, and this week, and we're not focusing on this, but next week we're going to talk about the sexual perversion and sin and things like sexual assault and all this stuff that was going on in that culture. 
And in our country right now, that's been highlighted. And there's so many people that are hurting and are victims of sexual assault. And, and we're going to pray for them. And we believe that God can heal them. And then the next week, guess what the, the book of Corinthians is about? It's, it's like, how do you overcome conflict with someone that doesn't agree with you? That's two weeks from now. That's, that's what God's saying to us. He's saying, listen, you don't have to live and stay in a place of brokenness. If you'll commit to healing, guess what? You can be the voice. You can be the influence. And here's the cool thing about a bone. When a bone breaks and it's put back together and it's set, when it heals, it's stronger in the place of brokenness than it was before. God wants us to be stronger. You'll never be stronger than when you commit to a heart of unity and quit saying, I'm going to get over on my team. We have to be the people find common ground that learn how to communicate that love that believe that share because if we don't what's going to happen in our culture in our world so God says to Paul tell the church I say it to you be committed to unity be careful of celebrity and commit yourself to Jesus Christ I want you to close your eyes.